0: this time. Well, Gary read from 1 Peter 2, and I am, uh, I'm going to get to 1 Peter 2. Uh, really, what I want us to see this morning here from the Scriptures is as Peter is writing to these exiles here and teaching them how to thrive in Babylon, he wants them to understand the majesty and grandeur of their calling here as, uh, as the church of Jesus Christ being built up into a spiritual house. And so what we want to do this morning is uh I would like to uh give us the background here and remind us uh of, of this amazing calling that we have as the Church of Jesus Christ. And then we're going to get to First Peter two here as we as we uh lay the lay the lay the background. Um, if and Jared, you're gonna to have to help me this morning with getting to some, some scriptures here and up on the screen. You know, in the in the Old Testament, in Genesis chapter twelve, God told Abraham that He was going to bless Abraham, and He was going to call him out from among the nations, and He was going to enable Abraham to be a blessing to all the nations. And so God forms the nation of Israel, and then He calls them uh, uh, and 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 gives them his his the constitution, uh, his law, and He tells them, "I want you to be a light to the Gentiles." So that the Gentiles, the nations, come to Me, the One True God, through you, as you share the light of who I am, the goodness of who I am. And we know Israel uh, really did a didn't do a very good job at that. And <clears throat> but God had to, had to, had the plan all along that there would be there would come one through the line of Israel, Jesus, the Messiah. There's three hundred so called uh, uh, prophecies here uh, about the Lord Jesus, the Messiah, in uh, in the Old Testament. Clear prophecies of Christ. But there's nothing that is said about the church in an explicit, clear way. It is a mystery. And so the church of Jesus Christ, after Jesus Christ came, and He accomplished uh, salvation through death, burial, and resurrection, and He institutes the church. The church is a big surprise to people. Not to God, but to people. But it's God's grand strategy. And in Christ's plan, the church will amaze not only the nations, but the Scripture tells us also the invisible rulers and authorities in heavenly places, the spiritual realities, as the church follows the instructions uh, of Jesus Christ. And so what I would like to do um, this morning is is walk through uh, some of these uh, Scriptures here about what what the Bible says the church is and how it developed, and um and, and and lead us to First Peter two so we can catch the 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 import and the power of what First Peter two four through ten is telling us here. So the church was a surprise. The Bible calls it a mystery. Something that um was was out there but it wasn't revealed here. And when we get to Acts chapter one, verses six through eight, we're told these things after Jesus had risen and He was among His disciples who He had told to linger and pray for the Spirit to come, the promise of the Father, He says this, When they therefore were come together, they asked of Him, saying, Lord, wilt Thou at this time restore again the kingdom of Israel? And He said unto them, It is not for you to know the times or the seasons which the Father hath put in His own power. Go on to the next slide, please. And this is the verse we're all familiar with, right? This is going to chart out what's going to happen in the book of Acts. But ye shall receive power. After that, the Holy Ghost has come upon you. That's when you're going to receive power. You're going to receive power for this task. You're going to be witnesses unto me, both in Jerusalem and in all Judea and in Samaria and under the othermost parts of the earth. passage that if you've been in church for a while, you're probably very familiar with. So what happened here, as the apostles did, as Jesus said, they waited for the Spirit to come. The Spirit came as promised, we read in the next chapter, on the day of Pentecost, the mighty wind. People who were gathered all over the world because of Pentecost, which was a, a, a special celebration to the Jews there, they heard Peter and others speaking in their own languages. And then Peter delivers a sermon, the first of five sermons in the book of Acts here, that proclaim the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus. But not only that, his purpose now of creating a new community. And Acts 2 tells us 3,000 believe. And there's a new community that's born. And this newborn community here has a set of experiences here that that really changed their lives. And we get a glimpse of that in Acts chapter 2. So let's go to Acts chapter 2, verse 42 through 47. And they... So God forms this new community and here were the religious patterns. They continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine and fellowship and in breaking of bread and in prayers and fear came upon every soul and many wonders and signs were done by the apostles and all that believed were together and had all things common. And they sold their possessions and goods and parted them to all men as every man had need. And they, continuing daily with one accord in the temple and breaking bread from house to house, did eat their meat with gladness and singleness of heart. So here's what happens. This new community develops these rhythms and this identity and really it kind of centers around four things according to Luke here. He records them to, uh, uh, as, as being devoted Not just, okay, we'll do this this week. But this was a consistent pattern. They were devoted to these things. First, the Apostles' Doctrine. The Apostles' Doctrine. The teaching of what the Apostles were teaching that Jesus had taught them. And then also, fellowship. They had a shared experience. A unity in the Spirit. They were this this promised community now that that Jesus had, had begun. And then thirdly, the breaking of bread. The breaking of bread. They ate together meals in homes daily. But you notice um, there in Acts chapter two and um And in verse uh, verse forty six, it says, uh, "And breaking bread." In the original language, it's the breaking of bread. The breaking of bread. There's a there's a there's an article definite article before there, and it probably means the special breaking of bread. The. Lord's Supper there. And they were, they were, they were, they were continuing in the things that marked them out as a new community following Jesus. And of course, following the new commandment Jesus gave them in that Last Supper to love one another. And then it says they, uh, were devoted to the prayers, to the prayers. So this new community was taking place in their homes, yet they were still observing going to the temple, as was the Jewish ritual, every day at 3 p.m. for prayer and so what does this tell us well it tells us that first of all there was a commonness wasn't there There was a sharing and there would have been and would have made a lot of sense made a lot of logic because there were three thousand people now that were saved and they had come from all over the world here and the many were staying on after pentecost and they need to share their resources to house them and, and get them instructed so that they could send them out later um and so this is really where the New Testament church here is birthed at Pentecost. And Paul, a leader later on, Paul, will give more uh, uh, instruction about what the church is. But also notice that they're still carrying out many Jewish practices. They're devoted to daily prayers and what they knew, the temple. Um, they saw them, they, they kind of, it seems like they still saw themselves as they were this remnant of Israel here, this new community within Israel here. And they're gonna to have to learn that it's more than that, it's Jews and Gentiles here. But you can see that right off the bat, the Holy Spirit through the Gospels was working in, in them, to make them an incredibly transformed community. Incredibly transformed. There was, there was a unity here, there was a, there was a generosity, there was a sharing here. And I'm sure the apostles did fully understand what was happening. They're learning on the, on the on the on the fly as they go and as they're yielded to the Lord. But this is the new community that Jesus had said he was going to build. Um, uh and 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 they needed to understand that it was going to be a new community of both Jews and Gentiles here with Jesus as the foundation, the new cornerstone, but this was something that's going was going to develop and become much more clear to them. And so God raises, jump ahead, uh, God raises a man named Paul out of this new community and God gives Paul the instructions to help this church learn what they really are in Christ and how they interact and how this household of God is to be, is to be structured and, and their mission here. And the main passage that Paul writes and explains this is Ephesians chapter 2. And if you read chapter 2 11 through chapter 3 13 you get a good chunk of what um, God wanted Paul to explain to the churches of what the church was supposed to be a one new man one voice uh uh one 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 action here of God who is declaring uh, the beauty of who Christ is in the gospel and how he has reconciled men to God So I'd like you to go to see a little part of this, Ephesians chapter 2, Ephesians chapter 2, 19 through 22, Ephesians 2, I put it up on the screen, not because I don't think you have Bibles, but sometimes it's good to just see this right here, just separate it out from everything else and to see the the, the power of what these passages are telling us here. Ephesians 2, beginning of verse 19. Paul says, Now therefore, you are no more strangers and foreigners, but fellow citizens with the saints, and of the household of God, and are built upon the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Jesus Christ Himself being the chief cornerstone, in whom all the building, uh, fitly framed together, grows to a holy temple in the Lord, in whom you also are built together for an habitation, a dwelling place of God, through the Spirit. The Spirit. Now, right away from these verses here in Ephesians two nineteen through 22, you see that there is a whole new foundation that's laid. It's being laid by Christ's apostles and his prophets. Christ himself, the cornerstone of this new foundation, everything is laid off Christ. He's the thing that brings us together. And then if you go to Ephesians chapter 3, And verse 7, you're going to see that Paul is given a specific task here to lay out what this church is. Ephesians 3, and let's read verse 7-13. through Whereof I was made a minister, a servant, according to the gift of the grace of God given to me by the effectual or effective working of His power. To me, who am less than the least of all saints, is this grace given, that I should preach among the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ, so that's number one. That's his task. Preach among the Gentiles the insurgible riches of Christ. And number two, and to make all men see what is a fellowship of the mystery, which from the beginning of the world has been hidden in God, who created all things by Jesus Christ. But what's the mystery here? It's this new people who are Jew and Gentile, the church of Jesus Christ. For this purpose, to the intent, that now to the principalities and powers in the heavenly places might be known by the church the manifold wisdom of God, according to the eternal purpose which He purposed in Christ Jesus our Lord, in whom we have boldness and access with confidence by the faith of Him. Wherefore, I desire that you faint not at my tribulations for you, which is for your glory. So he says, I have a twofold job description: preach the gospel to the Gentiles and make clear the mystery of what this church is, this new entity. So, what is that? We'll go over to chapter four. Chapter four tells us more about this in one verses one through sixteen, but I want to look in verses uh, eleven through sixteen in particular. Chapter four, Ephesians four, eleven through sixteen. And He gave some apostles and some prophets and some evangelists and some pastors and teachers for the perfecting or equipping of the saints, for the work of the ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ, till we all come in the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God to a perfect and mature man to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. That we hereafter be no more children tossed to and fro and carried about with every wind of doctrine by the slight of men and cunning craftiness whereby they lie in wait to deceive. But... We all, speaking the truth in love, may grow up into Him in all things, which is the head, even Christ, from whom the whole body fitly joined together and compacted or held together by that which every joint supplies according to the effect of working and the measure of every part makes increase of the body to the edifying of itself or building up of itself in love. So Paul says there's going to be leaders here in this church and the leaders are to do the work of the ministry equip the believers to do the work of the ministry and the whole church will mature and grow up in such a way that the world can see Christ. They can see the truth of who Christ is. And so let me just review a little bit here so far. So Christ's plan in the church is a mystery. Something that was previously hidden but now revealed more clearly. Ephesians 3 verse 3 Here. Paul has a has a responsibility, a stewardship to preach the gospel to the Gentiles, the unsearchable virtues of Christ, and to bring to light this fellowship of the mystery, Christ in his plan, which is hidden. And as a result, Jew and Gentile are now one in Christ in this previously hidden plan. And there's one foundation, it's the one laid by the apostles and prophets. Jesus Christ is the found is the cornerstone. That foundation is in chapter four, one through three. He lays out one body, one spirit, one hope you're calling, one Lord, one faith, or body of teaching, one baptism, one God and Father. And that these leaders are to build up the church on this foundation so that when everyone does their part, people can see the fullness of Christ. And even rulers and authorities in heavenly places are going to be amazed at the wisdom of God in this. It's amazing. And he'll reveal more of this. He writes three letters, First and Second Timothy and Titus. There are more of that plan. In 1 Timothy 3, uh, 14 and 15, he tells, them, uh, he tells them this, I'm writing for this purpose here. He says, these things write I to you, hoping to come to you shortly. But if I tarry long, that you may know how you ought to behave yourself, conduct yourself in the house of God. That means with the family of Jesus here. Which is the church of the living God, the pillar and ground of the truth? Is what he writes. This is this is this is Paul's Paul's purpose of writing here, and he describes the community life of the church and their interactions with with it, with it, with the lost and unbelievers here, and and Christ's plan, and that that in any culture, this is how this works out. Is what he says. And so that's Paul. who's a key part of this. You might say, well, what about this Peter guy? who Gary read his writings. This Peter guy that God uses. What about the Apostle Peter? I want you to go back to what Jesus told Peter in Matthew chapter 16. Matthew 16. Jesus' statement to Peter. Jesus is saying, uh, asking His disciples, who do people say that I am? He wants to hear it from their mouths, the horse's mouth. He says, what are people saying I am? They give... What they're hearing, and then he says in verse fifteen, "Who do you say that I am? Who do you say that I am?" I want you to catch this here in Matthew chapter sixteen, and let's let's jump to uh, to verse sixteen. See Peter's response. And Simon Peter answered and said, "Thou art the Christ, the Son of the Living God." Look at Jesus' response to this. He says, does He say, well, Peter, you're going too far here. No, what does He say? Peter answered and said to Him, Blessed art thou, Simon Bar-Jonah, son of John, For flesh and blood has not revealed it to you, but my Father which is in heaven. And I say also to you that thou art Peter, and upon this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail or succeed against it. And I will give to you the keys of the kingdom of heaven. Whatsoever shall bind on earth shall be bound in heaven, so shall loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. So what is he saying here? Well, this is an important passage here because this is before the New Testament church here that began in Acts 2. What he's telling Peter is this. He's going to build his church. In other words, this is a very clear statement from the mouth of Jesus, the cornerstone, that he's going to build a new community here. And it's going to require a whole new foundation. Peter's going to be important to that foundation, but he's not going to be the cornerstone. Peter's going to have a role in this. He's a small stone in it. But the rock that it's going to be built on is the truth that Jesus is the Messiah. He is the one true Savior and promised rescuer and king and lord of the earth. And Peter is going to have great authority here as in his role here to bind in the loose. But all Satan and his forces will not be able to stop the church, even when the forces of Satan are putting up defenses here. The church is on the offensive, the move. And so that's the background of Peter here. And so we can come to First Peter chapter two. Come to First Peter chapter two. We come to these verses that were read, verse four. Where Peter says, If you teach us that the Lord is gracious, then you come to him, you come to Jesus as the living stone. The living stone. Now understand in that culture in that day as people were scattered around the Roman Empire that there were temples everywhere. And these temples were ornate. They were built out of marble. They were exquisite. And the believers in Jesus Christ were actually classified as atheists because they didn't have a temple. They didn't have an ornate building. They didn't have this idol here that represented the image of their God here. Um, uh, They didn't have... Uh, priests in religious garb, etc. here. And Peter says, you're rejected, but your Jesus was rejected too. You're coming to Jesus as a living stone. Oh, you may not have a temple, but He's the one true temple and He's building you to be a part of His temple. Oh, you may not uh, have priests in the sense that the lost think you should have priests, but you all are priests, not a select elite group. And oh you don't uh uh you 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 don't have uh, these these images here that you worship and give offerings to but you have the invisible image the one who is ascended into heaven the one who we one day will be made visible to us Jesus Christ the one who you saw so us apostles saw with our own eyes and he is the very image of God here and you are offering sacrifices to him in terms of your service and your labor for him and so he says these words in 1 Peter chapter 2. To whom coming as to a living stone, disallowed or rejected indeed of men, but chosen of God and precious Jesus. And then Peter says, you're connected with Him. You have this union with Him. Ye also, as living stones... He's taking you. You're not a dead stone. You're a living stone. You're a living sacrifice. And He's forming you. He's fashioning you. And He's building you up. And He's setting you in order to build up His household. His residence here are built up a spiritual house. You're a holy priesthood. You offer up spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God by Jesus Christ. And then He's going to quote some Old Testament Scriptures here. Scriptures that prophesied of Jesus but also, with their implications, prophesied of the church of Jesus Christ. And think about it. If the Bible says, and the Old Testament says, that Jesus is a cornerstone, and he was a rock, right? That was rejected. And he's a foundation, right? Then it begs the question, he's the foundation for what? That was the mystery, right? That hadn't been revealed. But it's revealed uh, here now in the New Testament. So Peter says this, <clears throat> Wherefore, also it is contained in the Scripture. Behold, I lay in Zion a chief cornerstone, elect or chosen, precious, and he that believes on him should not be confounded or ashamed. So he gives this passage here. He says, every person is a living stone in this new community. The church is a spiritual house, and we're to worship God through our service. And Jesus, spiritual house. And the cornerstone of this spiritual house is Jesus, as predicted. In the Old Testament, He's the promised coming King. And this church is God's people who have been designed to proclaim the excellencies of God, who has called each person in this spiritual house out of darkness into light. And so He built his case by saying, this is not anything new. This is not a plan B here. This has been the eternal purpose of God. Let me point you to Isaiah. Let me point you to Psalms. And he quotes from Psalm 118, Isaiah 28, and Isaiah 8. And so the first verses that we just read right here are from Psalm 118, verses 22 and 23. It's a song of thanksgiving here. And and, and in this Psalm, David is praising the Lord for victory. He's, He's thanking the Lord for his loving kindness. And he was referring to a chief cornerstone In the original context here of David, as his kingdom is established, but Peter, and I think David as he looked ahead here, takes this as an installment of what was to come. The king who would come, the chief cornerstone. And so that's what he quotes there in verse 6. And then Peter has a second quote. A second quote. And this is from Isaiah. Isaiah chapter 28. Isaiah chapter 8 is a chapter in a long section of Isaiah where it's one of those long passages you read, and he is, um, he is, uh, berating the corrupt leadership in the land. Mm-hmm. Corrupt priests, uh, corrupt, uh, political leaders, um, uh, corrupt prophets here. And verses 13 through 16, he says, you, the leaders, in Isaiah 28, he says, you leaders need to be giving rest to the people, and instead, you are putting your traditions and legalism upon them, line by line, Here a little, there a little, and it is crushing them. And God's going to judge you by the same rules. But I want to tell you, God's laying a whole new foundation in Christ, full of grace and truth. And this cornerstone will be a tested ruler who's going to lay a whole new foundation in contrast to what was so shoddy there with the leaders of Israel. And then the third passage he quotes from... is Isaiah chapter 8 and verse 14. Isaiah 8 is one of those passages that, that that sets up our Christmas passage in Isaiah 9. It says both houses of Israel, the ten tribes and the two tribes, are going to stumble. They're going to fall. But God's going to save a remnant of Israel from every nation where they're scattered. And there's going to be a stone. He says in 7.14, it's going to be born of a virgin. It's going to be from Galilee, the root of Jesse, who's going to set up this kingdom. So Peter knows where to go in the scriptures to prove that this church and these people that have been scattered abroad by persecution in chapter 1, verse 1 of First Peter here, they're exiles, they're strangers here, is a pretty special privileged position. Not because they were special people, but because of God's mercy and kindness. And so what I want to do here with a couple minutes I have left is look in First Peter 2 and verse 9 and 10. Christ is the dividing line, right? There's no hope apart from Christ. There is all hope in Christ. And he says this about those who have believed. He says in verse 9, You are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a peculiar people, that you should show forth the praises of Him who has called you out of darkness into His marvelous light. Which, at time past, were not a people, but are now the people of God, which had not obtained mercy, but now have obtained mercy. What is he saying here? Well, what he's saying is this: the illustration of the temple and each person being a living stone. It's a story of the Spartans in Greece who the king of Sparta invited another king from another country to come and, say, and see his empire. And he, and he said, uh, I want to show you our city's walls. The king came down and visited Sparta and he looked around and there's not a wall to be seen. Sparta was not a walled city. And he said, where are your walls? And the king of Sparta said, those are my walls. And he pointed to each one of his soldiers and he said, each one of my soldiers is a brick in the wall around this city. And that's kind of the picture that God's giving us here of this temple. There's no visible walls here, but the walls and the use uh, the, the, the servants, the instruments of Jesus are his people here. Are his people. And what he wants us to understand in these verses in verse nine and ten is this is a very special position here, a chosen generation. He's using this idea that's in Hosea here, where um, uh God takes a a a a a a child of Hosea in the Old Testament that was not his, that was born out of wedlock, but now becomes his, buys it off the slave auction of sin, and now has a has a purpose here redeemed from their old master here and 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 though we may feel like outcasts in our world we are now a a possession of God and we belong in God's family here we're a royal priesthood we represent Jesus we are images of Jesus to the world here we're set apart from sin to God we're his own special people and we've been given a task and what Peter is doing here in first Peter chapter 1 through first Peter chapter 2 uh, verse 11 is this he is grabbing these people by their jerseys and he's saying this is what you are you feel like this ostracized you feel like you uh like like there's there's no purpose but this is what God has done and this is what you are and so he writes chapter 1 verse 1 all the way to 2:10 to reassure them and then he's going to say your job now when you understand this mercy, your job now is to operate out of this. To show, to demonstrate the mercy of God to the world. And that's what chapter 2 verse 11, through chapter 4 verse 11, we'll pick up next week, shows us how to do that. It says, you're priests. Oh, you don't slit animals' throats and put them on an altar. Here. Your sacrifices are all of life that flows from the transformation of the heart by the work of the Holy Spirit together. What was special and elite for Israel? There was only certain people who were able to be priests, a certain tribe, and even out of, those, out of that tribe only certain people are allowed to serve in distinguished roles. What was special and elite to Israel is now shared in common with us in a spiritual sense. That we are priests representing our God. Showing forth His, His mercy. Look what he says again there in verse, verse 9. That you should show forth, demonstrate the praises of Him who called you out of darkness in His marvelous light. So I want to ask you this question. And I get a, couple, a little bit of feedback this morning. here. What would it look like, and what does it look like for a church who is demonstrating that God is good and merciful? How does that change our Monday? As members of this incredible family here in chapter 2, how can we show God's praise together? And point to Him that He is good and by our actions and by our words display to each other and to the world that He is good. How can we do that? In other words, what will show the truth and love of our message? What would you say? What ideas do you have? Kindness, absolutely. And to those who may not be kind to us, right? And he'll talk about that later on in, in chapter 2. He gets right into that when people are, are uh, uh, cruel to you. What else? Obedience. Obedience in what way? What particular things? What's that? To His Word. Okay. What things in His Word do we need to obey? I know everything, but what are some specific things? Well, Love one another, okay. It's the gospel to every preacher. okay. Sharing the good news of Jesus Christ. Love the Lord God, with all thy heart, all the soul. Yeah, loving the Lord with all the fiber of our being. What will that look like? What was the question again? I wasn't listening. <laughs> <laughs> how can we show the truth and grace that God has? The message. How could how could we show the, the This this message of truth and grace and word and deed as to other a church. People, right? Yeah, to because others. Else that that's what you do to Yeah. To other people, like you could tell them, like a doctor informs his patient that they have life threatening cancer, you can tell them about their sin, the truth about their sin, which is actually love and not hate. Yeah. Yeah, and the need, then what Jesus has done, right? Sharing the message of the gospel. Um, what are some other things? Okay, a forgiving spirit. Forgiving spirit is huge, right? That's pretty difficult for the world to operate out of, right? When, um, if you have a motivation of doing to others is what you want to do to others, <laughs> right? Wendy. Mm-hmm. Um, that were different personalities, so that have maybe even been unkind to really reach out and um, pour our heart out. And mm-hmm. and yeah. So, how would this change the way we talk about things on Facebook or social media or whatever, where it seems like we can kind of hide behind that facade on our keyboards or whatever, um, and like political views, right? Certainly, we can challenge things that are not line up with Scripture, but how do you do it? How do you interact with people, right? Okay, your neighbor knows that you vote a certain way, but do they know you love them? Right? Um, And how do we do this together as a church? How do we do this together? Um, How does this change your Monday? If the world said, you know what? I see a church that I don't agree with, And I don't like their message, but I cannot argue that they are in verse 9 showing forth the praises of Him who called them out of darkness into His marvelous light. What would they say? If our door is shut down and all of a sudden this church just ceased to exist, what would the world say? What would this community say? Would they say, oh, there's no cars there on Sunday? Or would they say, oh, this ministry isn't going on. I was affected by this. I was served and ministered by them. Or this is missing. Or these people really loved their schools and ministered in this way. Or you know what? That person, my neighbor next door is a part of that body and when I experienced this or was going through this, this is the love and care they showed for me. Eddie? Eddie? Yeah. Yeah. And this is this is what this is what Peter wants us to catch from this, right? And so we need to keep filling in the blanks, right? And and, and, and and flesh this out, but this is what Peter wants to catch us to catch is that this is who you are. And it's not just to sit and just spin, right? It's now to interact and connect with other people. The love and grace that God showed to you is now to flow out to others. What's this going to look like in your home? Well, he's going to tell us, husbands and wives, pretty soon in chapter 3. What's this going to look like in your work situations? He's going to tell us. What's this going to look like in your neighborhoods? What's this going to look like in the government that you have? He's going to tell us all these things. This is how you thrive in Babylon and live as an exile, a sojourner. Represent Jesus Christ. Will, at the end of our days, will people be able to say of us, I don't agree with everything they did. I don't operate in the same operating system as they did. But I know they loved their Savior, and I know they operated together as a church with one who showed forth the praises of Him who called them out of darkness into light. That's what God's Word wants us to contemplate and then to think about these are the things that are not contributing to that, and these are the things that are. Let's pray. Lord, I thank you for the Word of God. Um, Peter here writing to these so many that probably felt... um, disconnected, uh, felt rejected, just like their Savior, but were still called to interact with their society and their culture with the grace and the truth of Jesus, understanding how much they themselves had been forgiven, and declare that Jesus is indeed the King, the one true King. Lord, would You help each of us here to um, grow in one particular way, one particular step, And continue moving in that direction. Lord, there's been a foundation um, that's been laid in Jesus. And You're not done uh, with us here until... And You're not going to take the scaffolding down on this temple until human history is done. So Lord, we pray that we participate with You more and more and engage, um, show the kindness, represent Jesus here as His body, His hands, His feet, His eyes... Uh, lord i pray that you would um uh, uh work us uh continually and shape us so that we as we read in ephesians chapter 4 were conformed into um the 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 the, the image of jesus and into the uh, a building uh fitted together uh and that is a holy dwelling place for your spirit in jesus name we pray amen Greg's going to lead us in our closing song, and then I want us to um, read through uh, verse 2 to 5, 10, and 11, our benediction. we